0: Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again. Our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Thank you to all of our followers and uh, comments, and much appreciation to everybody for the stuff that we're posting on Instagram. Uh, I still quite haven't mastered how to forward the reels, except uh, somebody was kind enough to show me how to take a, a screenshot and do that. So why you see half my phone pop up on there uh, on Instagram is that's how I'm able to least up. Downloader, put the put the reels up. Um, but a true a true sincere appreciation, as always, um, it's kind of the highlight of our week. Uh, mental health is continues to be on um, a rampage both here in the United States and across the globe, and there's no end in sight, and certainly there is a paucity of providers across all disciplines. So uh, I know I try to get back to as many people as I can during the week. Uh, if I haven't gotten back to you, please, I will give you the contact information. Please keep on me. I try my best. Uh, it's really cool how many people are pursuing um, psychology as a major in college, are pursuing psychology as a a career choice, uh, whether it's new careers or changing careers, and uh, it's really cool that you guys see us as some sort of inspiration. But if you met us, we are just two very down-to-earth people, Um, I say this often, doing our modest version of God's work. To try and impart uh, as much knowledge and wisdom as we can uh, in this field of mental health, and it 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 it's it maybe small, but it, it, it's something. And I'm going to piggyback off of uh, kind of last week's topic, which is uh, the postpartum depression uh, and psychosis, because I got a phone call the other day from somebody from the New York Times, who uh, because in our in our town. Um, you're not, you know, with all humility, is, is a very nice town in, in, in Massachusetts. But uh, the tragedy of uh, three children's lives being taken by a mother who apparently had, um, or because she's alive, has postpartum depression. And I, I really, what I wanted to really kind of focus this, this whole podcast topic on, and I don't think it'll be a totally, incredibly long one, is that mental illness is a real thing. It it really is. Uh, it 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 depending on the severity and the chronicity, and the trajectory of symptoms. It is real. Uh, Thomas Zaz wrote the book "The Myth of Mental Illness." Uh, it was a psychiatrist. It was a stupid book uh, and a stupid concept because it completely negates the fact of something that is so salient. And so a part of all of our lives across different cultures, across different nationalities, and and no one is immune to it. No one is immune depending on your age, your gender, your socioeconomic status. Mental illness is real. And, you know, sometimes when it hits home in your own backyard, it makes you take pause sometimes and... Maybe, you know, I don't react with as much emotionality because of what I do for a living, and I'm constantly immersed in a world of hearing, uh, you know, the pains of the trials and the tribulations and and sometimes the worst sides of of humanity and, and the worst types of pain that people have endured or are currently experiencing or have experienced as part of their life history and the narrative of their story. Um, So I think it's a healthy level of desensitization because I've always been very conscientious of of maintaining a sense of I, I always care. Uh, and I always said, that, that when I get to that place, maybe it's time to reevaluate what I do because I I, I do I, I do what I do with passion, I do what I do with uh, uh, veracity and and, and 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 passion, and I'm very and very tenacious about it. But I can't speak uh, highly enough about the reality of mental health. And I think a lot of us we 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 like to play Monday morning quarterback and look at the end results. Of why wasn't this done? Of why wasn't that done? Of who should have done this and who should not have done that? That's all well and good, but in our society in America, we are we we don't do anything. We we really don't look at. I mean, how many how many school shootings have there been? And you hear all the pleas. You hear all the the comments from from politicians. Oh, we, our hearts go out to the families, and we need reform. Alleged no, nothing happens. I mean, you guys who listen, this is—it's it's nothing. People just blow smoke, and we forget about it. Same same thing with mental health. Well, we're going to put more programs in place. to no, no one's doing anything. No one is doing anything, and I think it's because people don't really understand mental illness, and there's a lot of ignorance that comes with this because it isn't a tangible of. Uh, v- disease or, or, or dis- disorder you know there's there's no picture i could draw that would show you this is what bipolar looks like or this is what schizophrenia looks like or this is what dementia looks like yes could i show you a picture of the jerry picture of the brain and show you where different areas may be compromised definitely but to show you it just at a basic human level and an interaction level it's very easy for us to judge um but, you know, like when things like psychosis take over or depression takes over or mania takes over, uh, you know, Julie's done episodes in this about neurotransmission, but... Um, where you know we are chemical beings. We are made up of molecules that interact with each other, and 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 the communication systems within the brain is all about electricity and synapses, synapses, and sodium channels and ion channels and and potassium channels. I mean, this is this is all neurochemistry, which which happens in our in our in our bodies at a physiological level, but the outward manifestation is what we are confronted with on a daily basis, independent of whether you call it, uh, whether it's depression, anxiety, bipolar, OCD, um, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, delusional disorder, uh, and to some degree, even even the personality disorders. Um, but mental illness is very real. And I, I guess what I'm asking is, uh, is that all of us take a step back when atrocities happen to really find viable solutions to, you know, I've said this before, explanation is not justification. It doesn't mean somebody should not be held accountable. But I think things need to be put in context of how they have come to be and what were the mitigating factors. But at the end of the day, we are the we are the ones that are ultimately responsible for our own behaviors. But I think then it brings in a bigger ethical question, which I don't know the answer to that if you are if you are Suffering with a mental health condition or mental illness, and and and, and commit an act against societal values and norms or laws, what degree of culpability do you have? I I, I don't know. It's like the man driving uh, a car, and he suddenly has a heart attack and he crashes into somebody, and somebody gets injured, or unfortunately may die. Is he more or less likely to be exonerated? I think because well he had a heart attack, so. Maybe you know he shouldn't go to jail. He just needs to be you know see his cardiologist. The same parody doesn't really I think exists with mental health that I think people are held accountable not only for their actions but also for the for the illness that 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 is with them along you know in the passenger seat with them. And I I really don't know how fair that is um how how do we penalize people do we penalize people do we really rehabilitate people i'm more of an advocate of rehabilitation than incarceration i you know when, when mental health is is involved I, I i think i'm much more progressive in that st- that stance but i think people can become vilified for the actions that they do, independent of whatever crimes or behaviors they may have uh perpetrated or whatever has whatever has transpired. But but this goes back to what I was saying. Mental health and mental illness is real. It is a, we have a diagnostic manual. We are a long way away from where we need to be in, in, you know, just in terms of our understanding of behavioral health and behavioral medicine and psychopharmacology and pharmacodynamics and, you know, uh, just, just pathophysiology and understanding, you know, you're getting deeper and deeper. And that's why the diagnostic manual continues to evolve and evolve and evolve because, you know, things, we, we grow, uh, you know, they'll look back in a 100 years and say what we're doing today is, is archaic, just like well, we can, you can look back and do a post hoc analysis and look back at, at, at Bellevue and say, oh, my God, how could they do those things? I think at that time, people operated on the knowledge that they had about what they thought was appropriate. I don't think people go into this field with the intention of doing harm. Now, I guess I always say there 's always the outlier. Yes, there are probably people out there who practice that have some version of you know um, factitious disorder by proxy, which is a Munchausen disorder old former term i 'm sure there are people out there because in in a population where people practice and you 're working with other people uh you know to say that nobody is immune to this and, and none of us who are in this field are we don't we don 't we don't get like a, a booster shot every year to inoculate us from the things that we see and the things that we hear and the things that we do I think it really helps um, in, in my life and probably in Julie's that we're both in the same field that you know the pains and sorrows of humanity that that um, that that, that that transpire, uh, we're able to kind of be each other's counterpart and companion in terms of being able to process and digress and, and sometimes analyze and overanalyze to a point of, you know... Uh, you know, like, almost like a repetition compulsion. But you know, when things, like, when things like this tragedy in town happen, you know, the kids they they come to us and they want to know answers. And they want to know. in social media, I think, is 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 a vile mechanism when it comes to mental health because people can say one thing about this person and then say another thing about this person. And get in arguments. And get in fights. And what is the end result? How does that solve anything? How, what does that solve? Except you getting your point across? Does is is, does that make any change? Any systematic change? in improving things you know i mean there's a a, a place in you know chapel hill in north carolina that has a great uh postpartum depression unit you know so there are there are places that are obviously recognizing needs for you know alternative interventions but when it all boils down to insurance i'm sorry that's just just, that's just an excuse that is there's simply an excuse that that blame it on insurance and 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 to hold family members accountable again it it depends that when you don't when you, when you don't have the full story i think it's unfair to make a uh, a sideline analysis of, of of what happened um but in situations like what happened here in town where a woman killed her three children um you know a young couple i think it's easy to make you know e- e- what uh, okay, this said allegedly, but the reality is she she killed her three kids. Um, you know, I think it's easy to take one side or the other, vilify or feel sorry for. Her. And I think that, that, that's kind of human nature, but I also think it begs to, you know, I was telling the woman that when she was asking me questions, I said, there is so much information that, that is yet to be known. Don't know the treatment providers. Don't know all the docu- don't know all the inner workings. You know, what people post on social media is only the microscopic version of the lives that they want you to see. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. And all of us have those closed doors. And all of you guys listening know what I mean about, you know, we, the lives that we lead are not always the lives that we portray. I try my best to be as honest and truthful to who I am and who I put out, you know, to the world as I do a podcast that, you know, grace, grace of God has reached a worldwide audience. But I think authenticity is incredibly important. But I also think it's really important to suspend judgment. Uh, when mental health is a factor because i, I don 't have the answer in terms of what do we what what it, what is, is, is a punishment is it incarceration is it is it jail time is it rehabilitation is it institutionalization i i, I don 't know, but what I do believe is we we should we should base our facts on the one the reality that mental illness is a very viable and realistic thing or entity or construct, and two that we should have all of our facts before we make conclusions, as opposed to uh, uh, like the it becomes almost like the um, the telephone game. By the time, you know, you tell the story, it morphs into multiple things and changes and changes and changes. And I think what we do is we look at the outcome. What, what was the end outcome? Whether that was World War II, whether that was <coughs> the World Trade Centers, whether that was the assassination of John F. Kennedy, whether that was, you know, the, the, the death of these three children. We look at the end result, and then we, we come up with our, our, our own hypotheses about what we think happened. And the, the interesting thing is somewhere in there, in that middle... Somewhere is the truth. That's that's the fascinating part is somewhere in that line, in that milieu, in that in that mixture, somewhere is the truth. But I think it's unfair to, 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 to cast doubt and cast judgment and and reduce the significance of mental illness as a viable operating factor that can alter someone's cognition that can alter someone's emotional state that can alter emotional regulation again isn't is not is is it an excuse i know i don't think it is it's an explanation but again i i you know i don't know what the what the punishment or or lack thereof should be um so again, not having all the facts, as I was telling this reporter, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, does, it does polarize communities uh, it, because it brings up different ideologies, whether they're religious, whether they're geopolitical, whether they're cultural. Uh, it evokes certain things. And you know, people have, I think all of us have this fundamental tendency to want to be right. And it's also we have this fundamental tendency that we know everything. No, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to know everything. I know a lot about a lot of things, but I don't pretend to know everything. And again, when you, when you talk about situations that are behind closed doors, you just read newspaper headlines or you see the you know, little blips on the TV screen. It's very easy to make an analysis of, of what you think may be transpiring. But I think that's unfair to the person who is suffering with the mental health condition, whether or not they committed a crime or not. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I'm just trying to be an advocate for the reality that mental illness is real, and to and, and again, the whole point of starting the podcast is to destigmatize it, because it, it, you know, again, yes, at the end of the day, people are responsible for their actions, but I think we have to take that in context. You know, are you responsible for your actions? But you know, but you're on a, you're on a medication regimen and here are your goals and here are the, your, your clear instructions and you're not following them. Yeah, I think there's a level of culpability for a person, independent of this case or any other case. If, if you're given clear instructions and, 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 and due diligence has been taken by your treatment providers and you decided that you're not going to go that course of action. Even though there may be uh, ample empirical evidence that this intervention does work, uh, yes, I think that the person does have a higher level of accountability for not following that uh, versus somebody who may be following that, but it's just, you know, you know there, are, there is no magic pill. You know, Julie can probably talk about that, that, that you know, people, you know, there you can be a multiple medications. I, I've had people over the last couple of weeks who, you know, I'm asking like past medications. They've been like every medication under the sun. And some things, things, things just don't work. And, you know, who, whose fault is it? Is it the pharmaceutical company's fault? Is it the, you know, no, like, you look at, like, the big tobacco companies. Nobody put – they didn't put a cigarette in anybody's hand. Just because nicotine is an addictive chemical, they don't put a thing in anybody's hand. You know, you go back to, like, Roseanne Barr's comment when her show was rebooted. You know, she says she – she made an anti-Semitic remark, and then – um it's blamed on xanax and xanax the manufacturer of xanax came out and said uh, that 's not a side effect of xanax so you know it it's it, it, the pendulum swings very far sometimes in one direction and then swings very far in the other direction um, but I think at the end of the day is you know if somebody is given a treatment plan if they're put on a medication regimen if they're if they're attending their psychotherapy sessions and they're being honest you um, you know, I think they're doing the best they can to help themselves in whatever situation that they're in versus somebody who who neg- negates the mental health system, goes against their providers, uh, and refuses to, to to seek treatment or to take treatment for for whatever reason, whether that's their own personal opinion. You know, that you know that's where you get the courts involved in the United States, something called the Rogers Act, where you kind of forced take medication. Um but it, 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 it's a murky and a nebulous world, and, and, and that conversation with the reporter just got me thinking about um, how mental health and the actions of one individual can wreak havoc and, and, and polarize a, a community. And it also kind of what it brought up is what's going to change. I remember talking, texting with one of my colleagues this week who's an amazing therapist. Um, love to have her on and talk about EMDR. Is what's going to change? Absolutely nothing nothing is going to change what are they going to have a, a screening tool at school now they're going to you know get a you know a little, little quiz you're going to take nothing's going to change it's, it's just the way we are we forget about things we move beyond them um you know on social media it has a great platform for being us people do that yeah it gets all the information and gives you all this these 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 images and whatnot but at the end of the day We're all going to make our own conclusions, and the worst thing any of us want to be told is that we are wrong. None of us want to be told that what our beliefs are are wrong. You see they even come out in therapy, um, you know, that maybe what mom and dad taught you is a good possibility maybe that wasn't right, and that scares people really, really bad, Uh, that what I believe my entire life is possibly wrong. So, Julie, I know you Wanted to add something, Um, so here she pops in.
1: Hi, guys. Um, Thank you, Um, as always. uh, Just always thanking you uh, and appreciate you. Um, I, I, there was a couple things that just kind of came up for me as I was listening to core talk. I think that there's a there's. There's something I think that I, I kind of was feeling while he was talking about coherence. Um, you know, in mental health, it, it affects... I mean, it, it's a biopsychosocial um, situation. You have to look at everything in context and people's history and is there a history of trauma um, and so forth. Um, sometimes people... Gosh, I mean, you hope that your clients are coherent. Sometimes clients are so anxious by the time they are finally sitting with you that, like any of us in an anxiety-provoking situation, uh, feeling anxious, we can miss a lot. Sometimes we can miss a lot of information. Like, sometimes I... In my own you know, I, I could kind of picture myself in different times of my life trying to, you know, hold a holding a butterfly net, trying to catch every piece of information coming my way and wanting to capture it and hold on to it. I think coherence is really important because I think that when we're anxious, we don't always hear everything. And also I always tell my clients and I've learned to do this over time. It's not something that I automatically know right away. Um, It's something that I've learned that I feel is much more helpful, and I think it would help all of you out there who are in treatment or seeking treatment write things down. Write things down. Write a list in between your therapy appointments, in between your appointments with your provider. Um, If you're not in treatment but you're looking to be in treatment, um, please... Please write a list, and like in between your appointments, what did, did is there something that you forgot? And reach out to your provider in between appointments. Um, I have a very open uh, policy. I think because of telehealth and because, you know, my practice is much more manageable now, and I'm not working for a big mega agency like I was. Um, although we had admin, you know, helping us um, all, you know, twenty four seven. But when you run your own show. Um, You can have that, you know, higher level of contact and um, uh, accessibility. Um, I am very... Coming back to... um, I'm getting the side eye over here um, from you know who. Um, I get tangential. I'm putting that out there. I realize this about myself. I go on tangents and I just... That's the way my mind works, and I I apologize for that. Sometimes it's probably very annoying to you. Um, Yes, And, and coming back to another point I wanted to make about mental health conditions, illness, whatever we're calling it, is absolutely real. I mean, I think anybody who follows us knows that it's real because they follow us because they're either interested in the field or because there's something going on in their personal life, whether it's with themselves or it's with someone that they're in relationship with. Um, so I kind of think that that's where that's coming from. There's another piece to this that I want to talk about just so for your general education. And I and I don't know how many people really do know about this. That, you know, when Cor is talking about insurance companies, when I was working as a case manager um, at a partial uh, hospital... I was, uh, I did utilization review. So I would, that, my role was to um, work with insurance companies and fight for patients' rights to stay in hospitals. Um, I was the one who was talking to um, the insurance company saying, well, you know, we don't really think so and so's, you know, it's appropriate for this person to go home. Um, insurance companies are tough, and I, I hate beating up beating people up and I'm not beating up anybody in particular, but insurance can be extremely generous at times. And it also can be extremely restrictive. I've seen that from both sides, uh, from all sides. And um, when it comes to insurances, it's very important to understand when you're working with a client um, and also when you are seeking help or you are in therapy and seeing a med provider or maybe you're not knowing what levels of care are. So what is, what are the different levels of care? There's outpatient level of care, which is what core and myself do. We, we are treating people who are high, relatively high functioning people for the most part. And, um, they are, you know, our clients by the grace of God are doing well, um, because they're, they are meeting an outpatient level of care, which means that you are okay with going to your therapist once a week. And sometimes if you're doing well, your therapist will push you out two weeks out. Sometimes for maintenance, you'll see your therapist once a month. If your meds are working or if you don't need their, you know, just kind of outpatient level of care. Then there's IOP, there's partial level of care. That's a step up. That's when you have people who meet the criteria for that someone who really needs that one on one for medication on a daily basis in the confines of being in a program for one to two weeks two weeks is usually um, the the kind of the the main you know time frame it's usually two weeks some people go longer some people you know peace out you know don't don't they don't care for it and they drop out people do drop out of programs like that And then there's you know, call nine one one or go to your nearest emergency room. That's the inpatient level of care. With inpatient level of care, I think Cor mentioned uh, the Rogers um, Act. That is where people need medication, and they're not really seem they don't seem competent. So a judge comes in and issues an order that this person must take medication for their mental health. Um, that usually happens on an inpatient unit. I think it's the only place that happens. Correct? Yeah. Well,
0: the next level
1: residential. I... Oh, and so you know, so inpatient—that is when it is in a safe, safe environment. Sometimes inpatient units freak people out. Sometimes it's treatment in and of itself. Just having the experience of being on an inpatient unit, thinking your life is horrible, but then realizing it's not as bad as you thought it was, and then you you kind of c- come to grips with things. There's a whole different. I mean, depending on the person's experience. But on an inpatient unit, you are considered safe enough to, you know, you won't, you're not, you don't have access to your phone. You don't have access to certain things that would lead to a suicide attempt. Um, and you're constantly under the surveillance of staff. So, and staff is accessible to you at all times. Now, in environments like this, you know, providers on an inpatient unit, let's say a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner, um, can take a patient, people off of all of their meds to kind of to kind of reset and try a different set of medications. Be it, you know, you. that is that is where they're observed off medications to see an exacerbation of symptoms so that they can technically treat the symptoms that they're witnessing with a person on an inpatient unit. Sometimes people go in and it's just a meta adjustment. Um, But usually that inpatient units are where, you know, people are definitely not safe. They're either going to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. Um, I don't really get into the whole homicidal ideation of things. I do think that it exists. It definitely is something that people do treat. And it's something that, you know, Uh, people do struggle with. Um, And the other level of care that Cora just kind of whispered to me, which I wouldn't have mentioned, but I will now, is residential and state hospital treatment. That's when you're, you know, you're kind of confined to a state hospital. That is one place where, you know, you go to get treatment. Um, Maybe you've done something harmful to somebody else um, or, or yourself repeatedly, and you're not considered safe to be you know out in the world and, um, and safe under any circumstances, and those are usually for very chronic or very dangerous cases that people wind up in um, state institutions, since we don't have many of them. Um, so it's like treatment versus jail, I'm sure, in some cases. And residential is for people, I would say, more adolescents, not adults.
0: De- developmentally.
1: That's group tonight. homes. That's group homes, right? Just,
0: uh, where there's no family to take
1: care. Of. Yeah, sometimes like there's residential treatment centers where people, you know, usually I think it's adolescents that go um, to live. Um, th- those are where you know scenarios where I've worked with a lot of people in, in my career, um, adolescents um, who are in you know DOIS custody or um, you know just have no families. They're in foster care or you know they wind up in a system where. You know they're getting into trouble, or they have severe mental health issues that are getting them into trouble. Um, Of course, addiction is always you know very much involved in a lot of these scenarios, but not every scenario. Um, And then residential treatment centers are where people go and they live, and it's a it's not like a state hospital, but people go to school, they go to class, but it's all under one roof. So insurance, unless you have a lot of money in your pocketbook. (laughs) um you know, and can pay cash for some facilities because there are there are facilities where you can pay cash. Um, there are private pay facilities at McLean in Belmont, um, famous facilities that you know, people who are wealthy can send their their um, family there for treatment and their loved ones for treatment and they can afford that. Um, but for those of us, most of us who really rely on insurance coverage, um, it in, insurance really, You know, it really just kind of um, paves the way for a lot of, um, you know, different treatment treatment availability and what are they willing to pay for? What are they, how long do they, you know, are they going to pay for your stay? And the length of stay is not usually a long one. It's usually quick. It's usually one week or two weeks. Um, and that's a pretty long time. Some people wind up staying much longer in inpatient units, um, but the step and then people will get stepped down sometimes to partial day treatment, where they go home at night and then they go back to treatment all day. Usually it's group settings with medication provider and also case management, and you get a clinician, that's your, your personal therapist. In um, inpatient and also partial day treatment, There is a two-week window where once you are discharged, you are supposed to be set up with a healthcare provider for follow-up. Usually patients are given, clients, patients are given two weeks worth of medication until they get in with their outpatient provider. So if you go inpatient, you go step down to partial, and then you go back out to outpatient level of treatment, um, which is where I started. So outpatient level of treatment means you're more stable, your higher functioning. And I just wanted to mention that because I think that that has to do with um, you know, how and why problems aren't getting solved. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of times people and providers' hands are tied when it comes to um, working with clients. Um, but safety is always number one. So even if you sense that your client is not safe, you, of course, assess them. And sometimes you have to section them. Um, sometimes you have to make the call like, no, I'm not really feeling like you're safe. And, you know, you need to go to the hospital. Sometimes you're not right in front of them when you're doing this. Sometimes you have to do this from afar. Sometimes, you know, you send wellness checks and find out someone's not well and you 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 subsequently wind up sectioning them that way or they wind up getting treatment that way. And it honestly, in lieu of recent events here in Duxbury, it's been um, a very interesting, um, it, obviously tragic, but interesting to me how so far it's unfolding. It's interesting to me some of the things that people say, and like kind of where they're coming from, um, versus where I think they probably should be coming from. Um, in terms of this case, that is so devastating uh, to this family. Um, but anyway, you know, we don't know all the facts at all. We're not involved in the case whatsoever. But, you know, in order for us to do our job, for you guys, all of you, and all of you new followers, um, and all of you followers from the get-go, we really appreciate that. But the awareness is really important. And to be honest, we're noticing an increase in fear and anxiety in people who are currently pregnant, and also people who are uh, are of childbearing age, meaning people who are kind of on the fence or like know they want to have a child someday, but they're not ready, um, are kind of freaking out as well. You know, can this happen to me? And, um, I think, I think it's very important to address this and keep an eye on each other, you know, ask questions, ask the questions, you know, look for odd behavior and, you know, the emergency room is always open. There's always help available. You can call 911 and someone will come out and evaluate you and help you. And some some first responders are fantastic and some first responders, most for the most part, people are good people, you know, in this field, especially in our field too. I mean you know you have to think about why do people do things for a living you know police and firefighters and um paramedics but they're there to help and um that's always an option so never go it alone always be err on the side of caution um and mental health mental illness and mental um you know mental illness and whatever but You know, anxiety, depression, bipolarity, postpartum, psychosis, schizophrenia, addiction. Um, I'm sure I'm not mentioning a thousand other ones, but it's all very real. It's all very, very real. And I don't really know many people who don't know somebody close to them that isn't struggling on some level with something. So... Please feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions uh, or concerns or comments. Uh, We love to hear them. Um, And God bless you all. We love you. And uh, we will talk to you next week.
0: Thank you, Julie. As Julie goes off on multiple tangents, I'm talking about mental illness and... (laughs) you doing the insurance seminar.
1: You know, our followers are going to be upset with what you just said.
0: You, do a, great, you do a great job. I think, I think Julie be complimenting each other. Well, we bring two different perspectives on, um, uh, and I think Julie's tangentiality is, is sometimes helpful because she gets into areas that I might not otherwise get into. So, uh, again, wanted to do this topic just to highlight, uh, you know, the whole one of the founding factors of why we started the podcast is that mental illness is a real and viable thing. Uh, And I I don't have all of the answers in terms of what do we do when people commit crimes against humanity uh, that suffer with mental illness. I am not the judge nor the jury, but I think it's something that should spark conversation and debate. Uh, We hope for change, but until that happens, we will continue to plug along and do our work to the best of our ability. So... Until next time, uh, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. Uh you can get a hold of me through psychology today. You can contact me uh, through Instagram at psychology underscore unplugged underscore. Um, I'm trying to get back to people figuring out the the messaging. And uh, you can contact me directly at 617-750-9411 East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Uh, I I agree with Julie. Always err on the side of caution. Um, Help is available. And please, um, mental health is real. And I can tell you firsthand, it's what I see and deal with every single day of my life. From the high end to the low end and somewhere in between sometimes. So take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys.